You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information. Today's podcast is very different from all the previous episodes. You see, I'm leaving shortly to chaperone an eight-day student trip to Costa Rica, and I realized there was no way I could finish the next story before I go. And since it'll probably be a couple of weeks before I get the next podcast completely recorded, I decided to put together a podcast of material that I had lying around. You know, you can call this a bonus episode. Now, the first segment is an interview that I did back in January of 2014 with Lena Sillison, and that's when she was working on her master's degree at Columbia University. She told me that she had seen my first book at the university bookstore, she was intrigued, and then contacted me to see if I'd be interested in being interviewed. She made two trips up from New York City on a megabus, that's at least three hours each way, and sat with me for hours while asking me questions and watching me do what I do while I put these podcasts together. Then, after the interview is completed, you'll be a witness to history and hear an NBC radio broadcast of the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor. It is the real recording. So let's get started with the interview that Lena Sillison did with me back in 2014. The internet was invented all the way back in the 1960s as a communications tool for scientists. But it was only 20 years ago that the network as we know it today became accessible to the general public. And even then, the earliest users were mostly people with technical skills, working in research institutions. The non-techies, people who just stumbled across the internet and decided to embrace it, were real pioneers, paving the way for today's bloggers, e-chatters, and social media mavens 20 years later. Lena Sillison introduces us to one of the pioneers who has one of the few 20-year-old websites still standing today. Depending on your age, you may be having a nostalgic moment now. Or maybe the sound means nothing to you at all. It's the sound of the early days of the internet when getting connected to the rest of the world happened over a phone line and with a dial-up modem. That's how early experiences online, back in the early 1990s, always began. Yes, I remember that very, very distinctly. Anyone who was on the internet years ago would remember exactly what that is. Steve Silverman is a 56-year-old high school science and physics teacher who lives just outside Albany, New York. He's a regular guy, clean-shaven, in jeans and a sweater, and has a regular job. But 20 years ago, he became something of an unintentional pioneer as he dabbled in an early website. Just how unusual Silverman was may be a little hard to grasp today, when hundreds of millions of us are on the internet every day, 
publishing ourselves, emailing, and are in instant touch with friends, family, and total strangers. But in 1994, this was a completely new idea. Those who understood the internet and what it might become were mostly people within the tech industry. Then there was Steve Silverman. He had no idea what it would become, yet he now has one of the few websites that's been in use for 20 years. The world just changed. I mean, it's changed my life forever. Silverman first heard about this newfangled thing called the internet at a teacher's conference in 1990. Schools were among the very first institutions to connect to the web. So I went back to my school and I said, apparently we have internet and email. And everybody looked at me like, what? We don't know what that is. His colleagues may have been indifferent or just puzzled, but Silverman was deeply intrigued. He wanted to learn how to make these things called web pages, even though he had no idea what he would do with one or what he might say on it. I took some emails that I'd been sending to my friend Jamie, who was a teacher down in a neighboring district. She was new to email. She was just like, send me email. I'm so excited by this, because who did she know at that point who had email? As Jamie pushed for him to send her something, Silverman started writing down little stories and anecdotes he'd come across. Silverman's an avid reader of just about anything. How was the post-it invented? Where did the M come from in M&Ms? That's the kind of stuff that catches his eye, and he began to copy stories like these onto his new web page. And for the lack of anything better for a title, I put useless information at the top. And so, in 1994, with just a few thousand pioneers out there on the internet, uselessinformation.org was created. Silverman thought he might play around with his little electronic experiment for a while, until he got bored with it or it died out. The website was just done for me to learn how to do web programming. I didn't think the internet was ever going to be anything. I just love computers, you know, I was a geek. I am still a geek. Yet uselessinformation.org is one of the few 20-year-old websites today. This is my stack of each page here is just a different story. 20 years later, in the old Albany house that Silverman and his wife are renovating, one room at a time, Silverman shuffles through his story pile. It looks like it's unorganized, but there is a little bit of organization to them. The walls of his office are lined with wooden bookshelves. Sitting by his computer, flanked by rows of books and neat paper piles, he overlooks the hillside in winter. In the summer, a wall of green leaves. Then at times I just sit there and go through them and look through them. And if they're ones that I think can go any further, I just write possible story on them and I put a question mark. After he created the website in 1994, Solomon was happy if a couple of people said they'd seen it. Or if he received an email now and again. There were no search engines at the time, so the website was mostly advertised through word of mouth. But then, a couple of years in, that all changed. I went home to see my parents for July 4th for Independence Day. Come back... And my email is just filled up. I mean, in those days, to have, you know, 90 messages, 100 messages is like crazy. I'm like, what is all this email? And it's all about my website. And I get a note from the company that was hosting my website that were shutting you down. They said I had more traffic in one day than they allow in a month. It turned out Yahoo, which had just been created, had chosen his web page as site of the week. From then on, things happened fast. The internet just exploded. It went from nobody being on the internet to within a year, everybody was talking about it. Everybody had to have it. The website still largely looks the same. It's a very simple white page with little graphic icons and small blips of text. When it started out, you could only put text on a website. But now it has a podcast of simple storytelling, no sound effects. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side of history. It's not exactly widely famous, but the Useless Information podcast has around 15,000 downloads 
and a core group of followers from all over the country and the world. As the feedback and group of listeners grew, Silverman became more ambitious and the stories went from trivia to fully researched historical pieces. There's the one about the guy in the 1920s who held a big funeral procession for his dead pet canary. Or the one about the rich New Yorker who was handing out stacks of money in the street on Christmas and was deemed so weird that he was put in an insane asylum. The most downloaded story ever is about Henry Ford trying to bring back square dancing. The modern dances, the swing dances, the jazz of the 1920s were bad for American youth. This is the Useless Information podcast about Henry Ford from September 2008. But the old traditional dances were better. They somehow not only taught you to dance, but they gave you better social grace. They gave you better manners. Ford felt so strongly about the effect of dance, its ability to make people better people, to have greater morals, that he insisted that all of his executives learn to dance also. As you can imagine, the press had a field day with this. But somehow Ford, with all his power and money, was able to get the movement spreading. When it's time to write the script for Useless Information's monthly podcast, Silverman and his wife, Mary Jane, have a ritual. They get in their car, drive for about 10 minutes, and pull into the local Starbucks. Starbucks has replaced Silverman's home office. He now puts a lot of time and research into his stories. To get the writing process going, all he needs is to get out of the house to clear his head, his laptop, and free Wi-Fi. He doesn't even drink coffee. But his wife does, as she sits down across from him to go over some papers from work, while Silverman becomes absorbed in his research. For something I really just do as a hobby, it's pretty involved. So involved that his useless stories, as he calls them, have been compiled into two books even though Silverman says he never considered himself a writer and always hated English class in school. Yet his books, Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart, did well and have been translated into a number of languages, including Chinese and Korean. At Starbucks, Silverman has decided on a story for this month's podcast. The story is about a guy who, in 1947, he just got fed up with his job. He's driving a bus, I think, for 16, 17 years, and he just one day decided to go for a ride. He drove the bus from New York City all the way to Florida. Silverman says he likes stories like these, of underdogs who rebel and do something different. Andy Warhol once said, uh, you know, in the future, everybody will have their 15 minutes of fame, or however he said it. And I like to think these are people that had their 15 minutes of fame in the past, and I'm kind of giving them their 16th minute. A lot of things have developed in unexpected ways with the Internet. You could say Steve Silverman's website is one of them. It was supposed to be a short-term side project, but it's become a decades-long commitment. It was pioneering 20 years ago. Today, it's low-tech, simple, almost out of date. Yet Silverman keeps telling his stories to that group of people out there whom he stumbled upon two decades ago. I'm Lena Seelison. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story. She did a great job bringing it all together, although I should mention I was only 51 when the recording was done, not 56. I guess I don't want to rush life any faster than it's going. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Next up is a December 7th, 1941 recording of an NBC News flash right after the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor. For the first couple of minutes, you will hear a KGU reporter in Honolulu calling in as he stood on a rooftop overlooking the disaster. He gets cut off by the operator so that the radio telephone line can be cleared for an emergency call. The broadcast then switches to a reporter in Washington, D.C., As you listen, keep in mind that this is during the early days of radio, so it's amazing they were able to bring it all together so quickly. The whole recording lasts about 14 minutes, and the quality varies between very poor to mediocre at best. Now, that may make it difficult to listen to at times, but it will allow you to hear history just as it happened. One moment, please. One, two, three, four. Hello, NBC. Hello, NBC. This is KGU in Honolulu, Hawaii. I am speaking from the roof of the Advertiser Publishing Company building. We have witnessed this morning a distant view, a great battle off Pearl Harbor, and a severe bombing of Pearl Harbor by enemy planes, undoubtedly Japanese. The city of Honolulu has also been attacked and considerable damage done. This battle has been going on for nearly three hours. One of the bombs dropped within 50 feet of KTU Tower. It is no joke, it is a real war. Uh, the uh, public of Honolulu has been advised to keep in their homes and await results uh, from the Army and Navy. There has been fierce fighting going on in the air and on the sea. The heavy shooting seems to be... One, two, three, four, just a moment of interruption. We cannot estimate yet how much damage has been done, but it has been a very severe attack. Uh, the, 
Navy and Army appear now to have the air and the sea under control. One moment, please. Ladies and gentlemen, we're standing by for further word from Honolulu, and we expect to rejoin them in just a moment. However, here's a bulletin which has just come into the NBC newsroom in New York. Nomura, the Japanese ambassador, and Kurusu, the special Japanese envoy, were at the State Department at the time of the White House's announcement of the attacks on Hawaii. The two Japanese went to see Secretary of State Hall at 1.35 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and remained about 20 minutes. And now we take you to Washington. Inconceivable 
the surprise with which this attack has come. The men that are filling this room now, whose voices you probably hear behind me, have been called from every quarter of the city. They're the leading correspondent. And it came like a flash out of the blue. As I came down in the taxi cab, there was a broadcast which was being interrupted with this bulletin. The driver hardly believed what he said. I passed soldiers on the street. One of them said, yes, I know, laughed and went on. What I'm trying to explain is that we have hardly grasped the importance of the situation. We've hardly grasped what is actually coming. But tonight we're going to hear a good deal more. The president has called in his cabinet for 8.30. At 9 o'clock, they're going to be joined by the leaders, the congressional leaders, the speaker, Sam Rayburn, McCormick, Joe Martin on the Republican side, Bloom, Barkley, Hill, and then McNary, and the others who have, he has recently called in when he has been discussing international matters. And it was stressed by Secretary Early that this meeting is rather a consideration of our international relations than actual military affairs because the heads of the military committees were not called in. The president is assembling all the facts that he can, and as quickly as possible, he is going to transmit them in a, in a message, a full a message containing full information of the situation to Congress. And undoubtedly, that will be the consideration of whether or not a formal war will declare, be declared. Already, Senator George has said that while this happened, partly in expectation nevertheless it was a surprise and it means only one thing he says it means an open declaration of war and he added that it will put the united states on a war basis which may last for two or three years only yesterday i sat with emissary kurusu in the japanese embassy he smiled talked pleasantly and explained that there was still hope that the only trouble was that we mustn't discuss principles, that we must discuss the actual happening. He said that after a nation was at war for four years, that uh, they must be treated with a certain sympathy and tact, that there would be no difficulty in arranging the situation between Japan and the United States if we laid aside for the moment the discussion of general principles which could be agreed upon later and discussed the realistic question. Earlier, the Japanese viewpoint expressed to me was this. The Japanese people are 90% against war, the Japanese spokesman said to me. But, he said, the Japanese people, the majority of them, all of them, are willing to fight over the Chinese question. And then he went on to explain that China was a peculiar situation and must be so regarded. Nevertheless, the attention, the effect of these conversations have been such as to lead us to believe that at least for the present, Japan was not to take any overt steps, nor was she to give an answer which it would be impossible for the United States to accept. It was a status quo. Nevertheless, there was a feeling here that Japan was merely putting off the evil day. And therefore, while the thing came as a shock, as all wars do, nevertheless, there was a feeling that at least it would be a period, perhaps 30 to 90 days, while where we realized just exactly the direction that the trends were taking. I recall very well that I was sitting in the Reichsrundfunk House in Berlin when I carried the news that Hitler had launched his legions into Poland. And I must say that exactly the same feeling existed there among the populace at least. That it came as a distinct shock. It came as a terrific blow to the people as a whole. And just as there I looked out the window and saw the people going up and down 
the streets who had not had the news so today when I hurried over to this newsroom with the rest of these men that are now crowding it. I had the same feeling because I knew the faces that I looked into, the tourists, the Sunday persons going for their walk, had no idea whatever what had actually happened. Now, what it means, what it is to mean, we can only know as developments are revealed. And the dispatches at present are all being released here through the White House. They're coming into the White House from the war and the Navy Department, carried immediately to the President's office. And whenever possible, Secretary Steve Early brings them down and reads them to us in this crowded room, or one of the secretaries comes out, or we're called into his office. They are attempting to keep us in touch with every development as it takes place. And we will try to do the same for you as soon as it comes. That's all for the moment, and thanks very much. Back in New York City, here's a bulletin. Honolulu, Japanese bombs killed at least five persons and injured many others, three seriously, in a surprise morning aerial attack today on Honolulu. The sky was filled with puffs of smoke from exploding shells fired by American Army and Navy anti-aircraft units. Whether surface vessels of the United States fleet were in action against the enemy could not be learned at once, but columns of water rising from the sea as shells hit the water indicated a naval action. Viewed from the hills back of Honolulu, where many city folk went to view the fight, columns of heavy black smoke went skyward from Pearl Harbor. And Washington, Senate leaders were preparing today for an emergency session tomorrow in anticipation of a message from President Roosevelt asking for a declaration of war against Japan. Berlin. A German spokesman declared tonight there could be no reaction from Germany to the announced Japanese air attack on Pearl Harbor until all sides of the case were at hand. And San Francisco. The Army and Navy went on a war basis on the Pacific seaboard today. All these were canceled, all furloughs revoked, and every man was ordered to report to his station. The commandant of the three naval districts on the West Coast appealed by every medium for every officer and man to report to his post. The commander of harbor defenses ordered, all coast artillery officers and soldiers of the harbor defenses are ordered to report to their stations immediately. All leaves and furloughs are canceled by order of the commanding general. Again, Washington. The Federal Bureau of Investigation announced today that it is completely mobilized and ready to deal with Japanese espionage and sabotage. Ottawa, Prime Minister Mackenzie King left his Kingsmere home today for Ottawa immediately after he was informed of the Japanese attacks. In just a few minutes, we'll hear from NBC's Far Eastern experts, and one of whom is Upton Close. Uh, another bulletin, the Secretary of War has just announced that all military personnel on active duty is to appear Monday in uniform. For the latest news on the Pacific situation, please keep tuned to this station. Ladies and gentlemen, we regret the interruption in the service of National Vespers and the sermon of Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick. We give you now music. Well, thanks for listening to this bonus episode of the Useless Information Podcast, and thanks for your patience while I get the next episode together. Now, I don't have a lot of recordings of interviews that I've done, but from time to time, I'll try to find one and post it. 
Well, I'm leaving my wife at home and I'm off to Costa Rica at 4.15 a.m. on Good Friday morning. I rarely ever travel far, so this will be a fun adventure. Well, that's all I have for now, but please be sure to tune in when the next episode is posted. Bye. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.